Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. So it has been a crazy several days. I'm sure you guys can tell already that my voice is shot. That means there's been several chatting accidents here at MRC at 2023. And I'm so lucky to have some of my favorite people in the room. There's six other people here uh, who are all merchants in e-commerce, all with very big brands in the industry who have attended MRC this year and who graciously offered to talk a little bit about what they learned and what some of the themes are. I knew that there were a lot of people that didn't get to attend MRC that are missing that connection and wondering what they missed out on. And not that we can cover everything that has been covered in the last few days. Honestly, all of us have had different experiences, (laughs) some sessions and not all those things, but and knowing what's going on in the industry and then also those people who did attend, right? We all had a different experience. I think they'll enjoy it. Um, so I'm very excited about it. So I'm going to have the people who can say who they are, introduce themselves and say, you know, how many years you've been in fraud? Let me know how many years you've been in fraud and how many times you attended the MRC in the past. Um, if it's your first time or if you've been here several times, I think that always gives like, some context to your experience. And then I'm also just going to say that there are a couple of really great merchants in the room who don't have not, I sprung this on them very last minute. So they did not have the Russian run their comms team to go on the record. But if they pipe up, I think that's awesome. Um, Anonymous merchant insights are just as valuable as those on the record. And I know that it's just, we rarely get a chance where there's seven of us in a room. Like, I mean, we've had several Zoom calls with a lot more of us, but it's, really exciting. And I hope I can do a lot more of these next year. So Diana, I'm going to let you start and introduce yourself and how many years you've been in fraud and how many years you've attended. Diana, guys, I am with JD Sports North America Finish Line. I've been in fraud for 20 plus years. I'm not going to say exactly how long because then you're going to know how old. You started in year 10. But MRC, I want to say sixth or seventh or maybe even more than that. Um, I want to include platinum meetings. Yeah. So probably more than seven in that case. So yeah, it's been quite a journey and quite a day. Just, yeah, clarification. Pre-COVID, there were often two MRC events per continent. So there was the MRC Vegas every March. It's usually always the first full week of March. I've been coming since 2009. There were a couple of years in the middle uh, before COVID. And then during COVID, obviously they missed, but I don't know, I think this is probably 10th one, but like not counting like 10th year, not counting platinum because I don't, and European, that's the whole other thing. But what Diana's referencing is that there was also a fall meeting that was a lot more merchant focused. There was a lot smaller. There could only be two people representing each vendor and there were no booths. It was a lot more roll up your sleeves. I really enjoyed those when I was in charge of content and programming for the MRC and they'd be different cities in the US. And then the EU did the same thing. So they always had their one core event in the spring that moves around a little bit uh, in the UK and the EU. And then uh, they had a platinum one as well in the fall. Yeah. So I got to go to Rome and Paris and basically just see the inside of centers. My husband had great times. Um, 
please, uh, yeah, introduce yourself. Sure, Al Lutz at Bath & Beyond. Been in the fraud space for about 13, 14 years, and more specifically on the e-com side for the last five and a half, six years. And uh, this is actually the first time that I've made it to him. I can't believe that. Uh, so. And he already spoke at two events. Yeah, yeah. As a speaker, yeah, he did a great job. So Alan and Diana are two people that are in the retailer group that I've been hosting every other week for three years. So I, I feel like I, I really surprised me. I've known you for longer than that, but it just for various reasons in life, it wasn't, yeah. Exactly. Timing just didn't work out or the nice thing about you. Asked me to be a speaker and it actually forced me to be here. So yes. It allowed me to make sure it's on the count. Yeah. And it's a great opportunity for merchants to speak, not only to maybe share their knowledge and you'll get exposure and really pay it forward to their peers, but also, and I think rightfully so, they get free registration, which is really nice as well. That was the only way I was able to attend as a merchant when I worked for a small startup. Yeah. I'm very, very glad that you guys spoke. And then, Andrew. Hey, Andrew Austin. You probably haven't heard my voice in a while. A <laughs> um, few weeks ago. Yeah. Years in fraud. It depends on how you yeah. define fraud. Years. But if we count AML as fraud, then yeah, sure. on Yoast, about nine years of fraud, then in banking, then on the product side, at a, at a processor, and now I am in month four and the merchant side. This is my first time at MRC. Had an absolute blast. It was great to get here and see everyone in person. Mm. Put some faces to names. I've already seen the faces. Thanks to Zoom and LinkedIn pictures. Yeah. In person. Lives 15 minutes away from Yeah. So behind the scenes, Diana and I are both from Cincinnati. We live about 15 minutes from each other. We've been trying to. We had lunch together for about two months now. Yep. Yeah, as soon as I found out that Andrew lives in Cincinnati, I was like, oh, Diana, you should meet this guy. Well, I didn't know you lived 15 minutes away. I assume Cincinnati is a bigger city than that. I'm not everyone lives 15 minutes away from There is at least 10 of us from Cincinnati that attended this MRC. Yeah. And I am thinking of starting MRC Cincinnati. I, I actually already, I think there will be a meetup soon. I've already in the work center. I can't tell you about that, but. Love it at Scottish. Oh, there's a, oh man. <laughs> it's all but I, as I said, I will take any insults, but I draw a line at Skyland. <laughs> Skyland, oh my goodness. Um, yeah, well, I, you know, Phryology has been wanting to expand into regional meetups for a long time. And I believe that Cincinnati in Seattle are the two contenders for the first ones. And there's a few few vendors that want to participate in that. Just, you know, one of them just kind of providing the space and yeah. the drinks and stuff and then allow us to meet. So, yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously the usual suspects for meetups are usually San Francisco or New York. And that's great. But I actually said, what about Cincinnati? And I said, well, there's a lot of, there's actually even more retailers in Columbus. And then it's driving distance and stuff. So for, you know, either for the three of you or anyone else in the room, what, um, you, what did you like Andrew shared a little bit of what he felt like his overall experience was and what, what he got the most out of it? What did you guys, um, you said we're on day either four or three, four or five, depending on when you came. We've all had very late nights, lots of extracurricular activities after the conference. Those are part for the course. But what, going back to your office or you have somebody have them ask you like, hey, how was your conference? What was the, what were the highlights? What were the things that you're glad about? What, yeah. I think the best part for me every time is networking for sure. Just seeing some of these friends and they are friends and they work in this industry. It's absolutely 
value, extremely valuable. We know each other from calls. We know each other from our group. We talk all the time. We know each other from LinkedIn. We share experiences. But seeing these people face to face is very important. But also seeing a lot of different vendors. There is a lot of new solutions out there. I enjoyed learning about some of these new solutions. And it does give me ideas. So sitting in some sessions, like Alan's session, I, I kept thinking about what is it that I'm missing, what else I can do. So I have to slide bulb and I think about new ideas. So I think it's very stimulating. It's overwhelming at the same time, but it's very stimulating. It starts me, to start, it gets me to start thinking in a different direction and absolutely great experience always. However, I, but I do feel when I come home on Friday morning, if somebody says word fraud, I get pretty upset because I think I am Completely, completely yeah. frauded out. <laughs> if then, well, oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, even like at two o'clock in the morning, last night after a few cocktails, I'm like having this whole in-depth conversation with a guy that I, I feel like I grew up in fraud with, over the last 13 years. And like we're talking in depth, because I look at him like you are such a fraud nerd when you're like tipsy at two o'clock where you're just outside of a nightclub that you got pushed out of because they turned the lights on. I didn't think you're still like nerding out, but that's why we. We also become friends, right? And we can leave in other conversations. And it's like, these are my people. Yes, because like I said, in that fraud group, we have, I feel like outsider everywhere, but here. I really do. Yeah. I mean, I have this outsider uh, syndrome anyways, because I am from a different country. I came to a small city where everybody already has friends and they went to high school together. So I kind of had to make new friends. And I always felt like outsider in every other aspect of my life, but in fraud, especially in a company, because no one else speaks yeah. our language. It's exactly. Yes. Everybody speaks my language and they care about what you care about. That was my goal coming here. I had two primary goals. I had a very specific business problem that I wanted to understand the vendor landscape on, which I was able to do. You put a hundred and anyone know the actual number of vendors? Was it 130? I didn't this yet. It was around a hundred. Yeah. Let's just say and put them all in one spot. Yeah. And I can go and talk to you for five minutes. Did they ever let you talk for only five minutes? Oh, that's impressive. Those are nice people. Hypothetically, I could go talk to someone for five minutes. One stop shop. 45 minutes and understand what they do and see if I have 10 business problems, how many of those can you solve? How many of those can you solve? How could I augment you or something else? And then my other priority here, which is why I just touched on, was the networking. And we've been dying. And you said this, like, you need to, in order to stay up with fraud trends, you need to have a network of people that know what's going on, that can see we're not all the same. No. <laughs> e-commerce reads it, or e-commerce version. I am not a luxury goods version, <laughs> as some people would think. But yeah, and my fraud problems are completely different than yours. And, and same with you, Alan. They're completely different. But I was able to meet other people here that, hey, we have a very similar problem to you do that that you do. Let's talk about how we're addressing it or not addressing it. Yeah. And put our minds together, put our brains together and say, how should we do this? How do you think about it? If you could do whatever you wanted. Yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. Because everyone's got that. Blue sky, yeah. That, that was my second, well, my next thing, like the buzzword. Yes, yeah, that was the next thing I was going to I actually, first, like anyone that, yeah, Alan, what did you... You know, what was your experience? And then we'll go to the next buzzword. So I think that's definitely the next question. Too. 
Okay. <laughs> so I'll definitely agree with the things that have already been pointed out. Obviously, networking was, is there's no substitute for getting together to do these types of events and have that networking experience. And you talk about having the extracurricular activities. Although I'm exhausted, I'm just ready to go to bed. It's worth um, it's Bro, it's not that even. <laughs> we're getting older. My first one, I was 27. Yeah. But I'm not anymore. I was joining it, yes. I just need, and although being exhausted after the <clears throat> sessions and everything, being able to meet with these people, have networking opportunities aside yeah. of a business environment. It's also a thing you learn to, if you really connect more and you build those relationships. And what I talked about a lot in my session earlier in the week, about how important those relationships are, not just within your organization, but within the fraud community. We know that the fraudsters all have networking and we know that they all talk. Yeah. We just don't have enough of these opportunities to network. And whether it, and again, the Zoom calls and everything are great, but it's very different and you can do it yeah. in person. Yeah, and you're also in Zoom calls, right? Like you're still in the middle of your work day where it's different when you're able to like physically leave, whether you work from your house or an office, and go somewhere else. But it's also so difficult for other merchants to get the budget, right? And I want to be super honest, like the MRC is very expensive for merchants. And that's just something I heard a lot leading up to this is what lots of people might wear, make work for very big brands, but they're like, it's the registration is expensive, the hotel, the everything. And so we know that like, it's a privilege to be here. And so I know that there's a lot of people FOMO and I can only do so much and I always want to do more than I can because I just love the humans in this industry so much. Diana touched on it too, but then actually I'm going to have another episode later where I really got to observe a lot of interesting things, like realizing what is that like through line? What are those tapestry, right? Because we're all super different, very different backgrounds. But like Diana said, like you feel like an outsider within your company or within life. And you come here, it's like, huh. And I mean, I have a friend who started this conversation on Sat Sunday and we've both been texting throughout the week. One of the things he said, and it's a whole other tangent could be, but he said he's in the solution provider space, but he's not in like a sales role, right? So he's observing. And he said, you know, I feel like people who fight fraud, they are so passionate about protecting other people. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm here, mostly because I'm exhausted and I just, I'm like sad this is over in a way, but almost over. But, um, you said, you know, everyone wants to like protect each other or like protect their company, protect customers. And they want to like, it's not, it's about them. Like I need to be a super, we, I mean, I do think we all feel a little bit of a superhero complex, but it's not the piece of like wanting people to know that we're a superhero. Like superheroes do it, like they usually have two different identities for a reason. But his hypothesis was that most people who become fraud fighters, it's because there was a point in their life where they wished that they were protected. That was being bullied or whether that was another piece of family or anything like that. And I, that resonated with me so much. He was like, and so he goes, do you feel like that's accurate? And I was like, yeah. And several of us have talked about that throughout this week. And I feel like we could do a whole other episode on that. I'd actually really like that. Like maybe on a Zoom. It would just be a room of people crying. But I think that the thing is back to what you said, Diana, about one of the reasons why you'd love to come here is because oh, I'm not by myself. Yeah. I feel like that's also why people like to listen to phrenology. That's what I hear from people. Oh, the, one of the people with anonymous like raising her hand. I'm like, oh my gosh. And that was why I created it, right? Like I know that feeling of being the only person in your company who cares so freaking much and nobody else does. And it's it's so like, you just want to burst. I was amazing this week to be a first time MRCA yeah. and to be very new in the space, like a couple years in to feel like you found your people. 
<laughs> feel like you, if you were like me and you didn't know what you wanted to be, when, oh, and you're certain it's old. And then you finally fall into people who get you. It's pretty awesome. My favorite part. I think the fraud fighter piece is my favorite, obviously. That's why the podcast is why I'll bring you guys together because it's freaking magic. Whenever any of us are in a room together, it's magic. We can talk to the network piece too. As Andrew said earlier, I came here with one or two specific things that I wanted to get some answers on, whether they be from vendors or peers. But as you start doing that networking and talking more, you realize that, wait a minute, there's, I have that problem too. And yeah. I have it too. And that, I know there, there's, right. there's a lot of companies in for people who weren't able to make it here, whether it's because mm. of the cost or whether it's because of their bosses not necessarily understanding the value in it. Do you? I think that's something that, that I can speak to where what it's fear of sending your employee to something like this and worried about him getting Cheer kicked and off the company. Yeah, I've heard that. It's an opportunity to solve problems for your organization and identify problems that you didn't even know you had until somebody else brought it up. And how powerful is it when you're speaking with your leadership? I just wipe a tear from the previous topic there. Um, how powerful is it when you're speaking to your leadership to say, well, how's that same problem? Yeah. I talked to these guys and it, this is the only space in capitalism, commerce and all that where we need to talk to our competitors, like Alan said, right? The back guys are working together all the time. In fact, they're doing it in real time. And there's some of us are trying to do that in some ways. And I have high goals to help that in others. But I think they just having different avenues to be able to communicate and connect because it's so powerful. It is. And, you know, what I found very interesting, Diane, with e-commerce and sports related clothing and shoes. You could talk to these other brands and do the same thing. <laughs> and same thing with me with CarMax. I could talk to other car or automotive related brands. But what I found super interesting, we just came out of the session that was super interesting around the luxury goods space. <laughs> and I was asking about ID validation, <laughs> talking about what I see, what I want to do in our space. And somewhere from a high end art was talking about like, oh, we do the same exact thing that you're talking about doing. Mm. This is how we do it. This yes. balance that we see with it. And not necessarily the vendor itself. It's like, this is how we deployed our controls and this is the value we see. And, and what do you do if, you know, a customer has an issue? What are all those protocols and processes? It's not just as simple as implementing something, right? It's how are you doing? What are you doing around if they can't be valid or if they can't do this or they can't yeah. do that? What are you troubleshooting? How are you selling it to the business? How are you like... All of those other questions are. That point with that specifically is that you can go to like very specific. I could go to specific auto industry comp. Right. Yes. I talk about auto mm -hmm. fraud. And I'm sure they're very, very good. Yeah. But when you come in a place like this where you have 1,500 people from hundreds of different merchants, you're able to see, oh, they have a very similar use case. They're selling yes. something that's completely different, but they need, yeah, it's the same value. They have the same problems that I have. They have the same identity problems and payment problems. And they're solving them in a very similar way or maybe a different way. Yeah. And you can get together and talk to them and say, all right, so this is what I see. What do you see? Yeah. It's also just great learning, right? Yes. Like either as consumers or as free, or who knows, right? You never know. And I still think it's fascinating that in your interview the other day or a couple weeks ago, Andrew, I used to the very first episode of Fraudology you listened to is the one with Great McKenna on auto fraud. You were working for payment processor. Yep. You had no idea you were working for CarMax in a few months. But you're like, but that's fascinating. That's something that I I think the cross-pollination of information. And I can only do so much as one person, right? I try so much to like, I am so lucky to get to know all of you and so many other people and get to hear all those things. And I try to say, oh yeah, 
you're like two groups that have a ton in common are sneakers and event ticketing. Yes. Because they both like the ends are yeah, because bots, but also the bots are because it's limited inventory and high demand. And it's usually a short period of time. And then there's this high resale market, right? So there's the primary market, like into in ticketing, that's like Ticketmaster, like I had them on a few weeks ago. And then you know, in Seekers, that's like JD Sports. But then there's also the secondary market now because we have marketplaces and those values can go up quite a bit. I And then collaborating with those marketplaces to make sure they stop frosters. Yes. They shouldn't be stealing from you and selling it. Yeah. Ex- yeah, exactly. Right. Very valuable. Right. Yeah. And it's totally like, it's like cross pollination. All right. So Andrew, you uh, kind of started out with buzzwords. I've joked about this on previous episodes that for several, um, actually something that's called them drinking game words, although we would be in a coma, but for some of them, but over the years, it's been like, oh God, the wallet wars was one for like several years in like the early 2010s, silver bullet, best in class machine learning. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Everyone has, that's become the joke. Actually, I had to tell on Alan, it was one of the funniest things. We have a WhatsApp group with some of the retailers and the group that, that I, we do on every other weekend on Zoom. And someone asked about a vendor in the group and they said, they said that they had a best in class. And if you, I think Andrew first said like, As so does everyone. <laughs> and then Alan just piped in it was just short but sweet. It was like, I was best in class once. It was gym class. That's right. We won the WhatsApp thread. I was dying. We're all best in class. Straight shot of that. No, I've been a post. This is very, like, these kinds of conversations are very, for anyone that isn't on the merchant world, like, this is very representative, right? Like, we, you guys see through a lot, right? And I often have a job. Our job is, yeah. oh my gosh, you're trying to, trying to deceive me. With just a few lines of data, right? Yeah. I say that all the time with the vendors I work with. Yeah, you try to deceive me? Yeah, social engineering. I'm trained in it, guys. And that's also sales tactic. But yeah, it's just funny because a lot of them don't. So it's fun. But what did you guys each think that the buzzwords were for this year's conference? Andrew, I'll let you start. You said there too. Well, let's steal the line because I know someone else is going to take this. I'll let you know. But you mentioned like silver bullet was a buzzword yeah. years ago. <laughs> it has become so prevalent. It's a trope now. And every session that I sat in, every vendor that I talked to said, we know it's not a silver bullet. <laughs> so not a silver bullet is the news. Because why I think we're getting a clap because everyone knows you're right. It's true. However, I do know that you uh, you jokingly told one better, well, maybe you could be a copper bullet. <laughs> he was like, I work here a trademark. I guess I shouldn't have said that. Sorry. Yellow. Yeah, I did see yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. Silver bullet, there might be a blue and yellow and white. All those just happen to be your brand colors. Interesting. Weird coincidence. <laughs> well, hey, Alan, there's a blue and white silver bullet as well for, yeah, for all of the things you can at at Bath and beyond. It's part of our beyond section. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the blue and white. Oh, gosh, we don't need to tell you. We're talking hypothetical ones. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Would the anonymous person to my right like to share my player buzzword? I don't need to put you as five. You know, like, was there something you felt like people were saying all the time or talking about all the time? I didn't get the impression. I think that I fall in line with what you just shared. I didn't get the impression that they were like bells and whistles this year. Mm. I felt like they were a little more like pulled back and was like, oh, this could help. You could add this. It's like, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't really have a buzzword, but I am in alignment with what you're saying. A little more naughty on the solution yeah. provider side. Totally. I noticed that too. Yeah. I think actually, I mean, some of the ones I work with, I've said that too. Like you cannot be everything to everyone. And there are a few providers that are trying to be one-stop shop. But if you're not, if you get too far away from your core competency, are you going to be enough? And it's not that you guys can implement seven different solutions and are thankfully new technology that, that can help you do that but without having seven different API connections or whatever. I and mean, it's amazing how much technology's advanced in just the last like ten, five, 10 years. But at the same time, like it, it is good that they're you know, at least saying, hey, can we, we think this could I mean, there's some that think that they can do everything, but it's good. To, yeah. And there's a few people nodding their head. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's definitely a few. And if we were meeting names, I bet they'd all be the same. But that's like, you are not even using it. So, uh, person to my left. It gets payments orchestration. They took Diana's word. Good one. Mine is the orchestration in general. Like, orchestration. And I do have to say one more word that I keep hearing and I can't get past it is friendly frog. Let's that I mean, are we so focusing on friendly frog, friendly frog, friendly frog. Mm. I thought we all agreed to change it to first party. I've been flying for years all over. Sometimes I go out of practice, but yeah, first party. Oh, yeah. Period. Why does it have to be? She's got, we could talk forever. I know that some people really need to eat. So I'll very quick, but some people being Diana, so feel free. We do not want you to be hangry. I, I love you and I know you okay. and I don't ever want a hangry Diana. So I'll try to be quick, but I make sure to that. Not just because I created friendly fraud processes for like multiple online companies for chargebacks and all the other stuff, but it's not because I'm not to brag. It's like I just say like whatever. I'm getting rolled eyes. This is also why I love these things. I'm loving this. Like next year we have like ten of these. Um, I don't mind getting ripped on. It's good. It keeps me humble. No, it's just because it, to me you you have to identify and fight them different because the intentions are going to come through in the way that the orders right. So like. We can identify intentions when they're malicious, when it's not their account or it's not their payment. When they're using their own payment method and everything else. And the point of compromise isn't until they already have the product or they've already used the product and they're calling their bank and they're issuing a chargeback or they're calling customer service and they're making a refund fraud claim or trying to send a bunch of crap back to the warehouse that wasn't what they got. That's where the point of compromise is. That's where you have to address it. For chargebacks, I found that, you know, like looking at those chargebacks and looking for the common themes, the root cause analysis, and then implementing the blah, 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 that's more effective than at the time of transactions, they, that person is using their own information, their own card, everything else, their own account. But in two months, they're going to change their mind about paying for this. Fraudology is now brought to you by Sardine. So what is Sardine? I mean, other than a small oily fish in the herring family, Sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking, and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do, and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs as you probably are. More specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you. Benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. 
But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created as they, their customers, need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score that was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other business models. For some clients, they use Sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, Sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So if you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. So that's my counter argument to why they're different. But I agree with you that like it's overused. And I also think that it's overgeneralized. It's misused. And I would also go a step further opening candle worms, but I also think it's say like there are people who think that the solutions for it are different than what it actually is. And that can also be challenging. But I did want to ask that really quickly, uh, one of you guys explain a little bit what orchestration is. I wanted to see if person in your left has something else to add because I jumped in here. So it's popcorning. Mr. X has nothing to say. So, um, Mr. X can get split of orchestration because I'm sure I won't do it right. I keep hearing. I, I mean, I can see if I want you guys to do it if you can't. Like, I just understood that this is a way for you to have full visibility of your end-to-end process or end-to-end transaction cycle in one single space. And be able to put whatever friction or whatever you need to do to mitigate any type of fraud. I know that Mr. X was saying payment orchestration, but I'm talking orchestration in general where they're actually talking. Great. But I think, yeah, so like you're a payment, it, the orchestration and actually Polly mentioned this when she was with Tin Chen at Ticketmaster a few weeks ago, or like a month or two ago on the podcast about how product orchestration is starting to be a thing and how it came from payment organization. She talked a little bit about it, but my understanding, and I definitely heard about it in the last couple of years, last year was the first year that I heard fraud orchestration. Actually, it was from a merchant that I consider very like forward facing and thinking about things in the front. And this is not meant as a plug for the current sponsor, but it was be- that's how I met SPAC was they were like, hey, this is the first company that we can find that we can do orchestration. And to me, it's dynamic routing. It's on the payment side, it's hey, not every transaction is going to go through the same payment processor. We're going to decide based on geography, based on currency, based on authorization rate, based on performance, or based on pricing, where each transaction is going to go, right? If this person's using a debit card, we're going to go through this acquirer. If this person's using bio, like just different things, they have to get routing through your PSP. For fraud, it's... Everyone, yeah, go ahead. Well, this, if you were able to attend this session, but there actually was a session on jury type orchestration which was even further yeah i believe that actually you were in that session right or thunder here i was going to say the same the presenters were intelligent engaging i might say very handsome yeah yeah we we did talk about that from their perspective it's yes it's about seeing the customer jury and being able to target friction but it's also the connectivity and the ability to connect to different providers as people connection i think that's going to change the game on the vendor side right because so many contracts are all or nothing and i understand why we get it but i hope that puts some onus on solution providers to step up their game and go wow 
they don't need to send all of them to us. So we need to be so good that they want to. And we need to be able to be adaptable to that, right? Because as the connectivity issues are there, as merchants are able to say, hey, we've known these customers forever. We've seen the device. We know everything. We don't need to send them through fraud. But hey, these guys, they're so risky. We need to send them through an extra layer or something else. It's different. Customer improving it. That's the main goal, right? Is improving like the customer experience. And then putting, you know, it's similar to what Matt and Sid talked about from Novo a few weeks ago about tripwires and landlines, right? You're not giving everyone tripwires and landlines. So you're able to give different customers, different personas, different journeys based on all kinds of factors. And spec is the first one that I've seen that does it in a way that isn't, isn't a heavy lift or implementation. And we all know how almost impossible it is to get new engineering resources. And as fraud continually innovates, we have to keep innovating. Like there are the things we have to. And so I, I think it's an exciting time in that way. Yeah. Let's call a couple. Well, we have buzzwords for the buzzword. Yeah. Yeah. Ellen, do you have a buzzword that you heard or that you said a lot? Is there a word you said a lot? Well, the word we actually just said in here too, it's not necessarily a new one. It's not just in the fraud space. It, in fact, I see this all the time within my own organization. The word is friction. Friction. Yes. Everybody loves to use the word because it elicits so much anger or frustration. So they like to use that whenever, anytime we as. Yes. Fraud fighters, or as some like to call a sales prevention instead of loss prevention. <laughs> I wish I saved that business card that my CMO created for me so long ago. Chief's, chief sales prevention officer. So they, they like Put to my use words to try to block those things that we're doing too. So it, yeah, the friction is always a little... Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, that's, and that goes in and out of orchestration, right? Because orchestration can allow you to not have as much friction and you can say, okay, we're only going to put it on the ones that trigger things. And that helps them have more faith and, and more trust. And that builds your credibility within the business. It also helps you actually build revenue rather than just being a revenue saver. And we all know that those revenue generating departments, they are the apples of the eye. And right, rightfully, it's always as long as you're generating the right revenue. And that's usually where, you know, they don't like us for that, but <laughs> we are revenue generator. Like, we, we really are. Even when people don't necessarily, we just, we, I don't think in our space don't do a good enough job of showing how we generate that mm -hmm. revenue. So I won't go off on a tangent on that. Cause I know. Well, I think it's sorry. Yes. Um, no, but I don't want anyone to be angry, but I will say, Alan, I think that should be something you and I talk about for our, our one on interview soon is talking about that friction part and. Um, not doing a good job talking about it in the business because I have some examples of that recently. I actually, every time I have any reports or anything, I first show how much money we brought by making exchanges, and then I say, this is how much fraud we've done. So we just, we have to do a better job of it. I agree. Yeah, and communicating it. I quickly, there was a newer online merchant that I was speaking with about working together, and they actually have, I think I actually, should, I might have said this in, I don't know, a previous episode, maybe last Thursday, but where I thought it was interesting because they're brand new to e-commerce, so they don't have a huge footprint. They don't have a ton of reviews about their website, right, on Trustpilot or something like that because they haven't been around. And do you buy something on a website and it's an okay experience and you go, oh, I may put this on Trustpilot, like unless you care about your user score, which I don't know if that's a thing. But even though they have a liability shift on chargebacks and they're not paying for it, their score on Trustpilot is one and a half stars out of five because the people who do go to their site for Trustpilot are the victims. 
And they're like, this website is fraud. And then they see everyone else did it. So they're like, oh, yeah, everyone else sees them. We have pile on, pile on, pile on. And this person's like, now, you know, we're, they're a really big brand, but they had never sold direct to consumer. That is such a good example to me. And I feel like because I've been working with enterprise so long, we all know that that impacts it. But back to your point about being revenue generating, how many people are going to Google that company and they're going to see that 1.5 out of five stars and they're going to go, well, maybe that's a fake website. Maybe that isn't actually the real merchant's website. That merchant is not actually losing the hundreds of thousands of dollars that are being lost to cardholders. That's still bad, but it's still bad. It's bad for so many reasons. And we could go off on so many things about the programs and everything else, but just that alone. And I thought that was a really good example of, oh, yeah, it really matters. Yeah, to your point, we're generating revenue by keeping our customers safe and yes. not trust. If we're not keeping them, we're not keeping them trusted and we don't have a brand that's reputable, then we're preventing the revenue before it ever even gets the opportunity Brilliant. to the site. So it is definitely revenue generating, even if we're not seen as that across your organization. Wow. Wise words. All right. I know we're just trying to get the, but it's, did you want to share anything about like any words that you heard, especially with it being your first conference? I think maybe I talked to some of the not humbled down. <laughs> because my buzzword, I feel like, was end to end solution. Oh, interesting. Uh, they just, I bet we can get it from. Yeah, if we were recording, right? I think we get south. Rather have now the solution and pay less by Frank. <laughs> right? Yeah, end to end solution does basically say, I love the knuckles that just happened and fist bumps. Like, yes. Yeah, end to end solution does actually, well, it's a very good point, Mr. X. Right. Yeah, the end solution means we're going to charge you at every single point. And there are some solution buyers that are chart changing their business model from we're going to just give you a package to that's going to cost you and that's going to cost you and that's going to cost you and that's going to cost you. But you can't have this without that. And it's actually, you guys will get a kick out of this. I was joking with somebody the other day. I was like, I bet we could do fraud vendor taboo. Well, you never say the fraud vendor's name, but you describe their sales tactics or their contracts. These are things I can say that you guys can't. So I'll see how. And you would get the screen. He's Andrew brings up because I was talking about solution providers are no longer in the space. And now I wish I sometimes wish they saved some of the swag over the years. A lot of the startups that didn't go up or whatever. And there was during the wallet war a period with the digital wallets, pre-Apple Pay and all that stuff. There was a payment method. It was like going to be the next big thing. And they spoke at the keynote and it was like, everyone was excited about it. It was a really good thing. Do you remember this? Because you were around. It was called ISIS Pay. It was before they were in terrorist group. <laughs> I think I had the computer mouse pad with that on it and something else. I'm like, why did I not say that? And like, actually there were mobile carriers that were selling it as an add-on when you bought a phone. Even for like the next month, when they did try to change it, and I actually remembered what the name was that they changed it. I don't. I think it's the same as the one that like all the some big box merchants tried to create a human method. But I know me being the fraud historian, it's like super nerdy. But yeah, like there's that one. But I guess I was thinking more like the ones right. Okay, this is they claim this, and we'd all be like, oh, it's that one. And it's not that we're trying to make fun of them. It's just that like it's frustrating as a merchant, right? Because you feel like I'm today as my way earlier. You feel like you're getting lied to. You're like, you guys are so full of shit. Like, and we all talk to each other. And it's not that we talk to each other to discourage your brand. It's because as a merchant, you don't feel like you just have to protect your company and yourself and the fraudsters. You have to protect them from the solution providers 
that aren't out there for your interests. And it used to be the case, I feel like it used to be way, way, way back in the day when there were like five solutions where they were in the room with us when they were not for selling. It was just like, they were helping solve problems. But then as just VC money and every and investment money and private equity money and stuff, it is allowed there to be new technology in our industry. And that's great. It's also created massive competition and it has created just a bunch of crap, right? And sales taxes and this and that, we got to get them out. And they don't understand you guys at all. So they don't get that, like, when they claim these things, that's actually a strike against them, not forward. I've started, you know, I told you guys, and I'm grateful that you, because I was worried to make me a sellout, but you guys are actually, like, been really helpful in, like, working with a couple of providers that either have a bad reputation or had one or the ones that have really good solutions to say, hey, guys, like, this is how they are. And I never say specific merchant names ever to them. Like, it's in my contract. <laughs> I'm not telling you who has what problem. I'm not telling you that, but I will tell you generally, these are the problems they're having. And this is, these are things that you're saying. So like, here's all the screenshots of the bad things. And then here's a couple screenshots of text messages I've gotten. We're like, wow, I really like this provider. It'll even know. But like, you know, I, I always black out the names and all that, but it's really, I've noticed that actually merchants appreciate that. They're like, I'm glad like it's a feedback loop without it being my name attached. <laughs> was not ever the business model I set out to be. But with the companies that I feel like just could use a little bit of like up because their customers do like them and they do have a good product. There are some that unfortunately for various reasons, not the case. All right. So buzzwords, did we get all the way through? Yay. Okay. All right. So as it is for takeaways, but you know what guys, I know we are all hungry. I have Katie in here and I, um, but I hope that we'll do this next year and we'll plan it better. I really love this. And I am so grateful to you guys for just supporting me in the podcast and just in general. And I uh, I consider all you guys my friends and I just, it's the best. Anyone have any parting words that they want to say about this event, about being a part of the industry, anything like that? We're all exhausted. We're all slightly hungover, sleep deprived. I guess. <laughs> Dehydrated. Right now, we're all just ready to get on the phone and yep. sleep for about 20 hours. Yes, always. And really, it's a great time. If you have the ability to come to this event or other fraud networking events next year, I would highly encourage that you build that business case to your leadership teams now. Yeah. And say, hey, can you please set aside a bit of travel budget for me? Because the connections that you make here, the ability to interact face-to-face -face with vendors and merchants and other fraud fighters and people that are passionate about this that just want to help others. You can see that in their eyes. You can mm -hmm. hear it in their voice and it is invaluable. That lead network that you build now, you don't, you never know when you're going to need to tap some. Oh, see, just because someone's mm -hmm. working in shipped goods now, they might be working in digital goods. Oh yeah. Ooh, I have a bazillion stories. Yeah. Hey, I've been in banking. I've been on the processor side, but now I'm in yes. autos in auto sales. Like you, you, people move around in this industry, and even the ones that are passionate about it, you, you a couple of years from now will probably end up somewhere else doing something similar. It might be at a different, totally different vertical, but you're going to be doing the same thing, fighting the same issues in just a slightly different way. And it's great to have those that network built up. How much you get there? Shut up. Because Diana is very hungry. <laughs> this is a very niche industry. So people, even when they change jobs, like change companies, yes. they stay with yes. the same 
industry. The ones that are true frog buyers, right? They're right. they're definitely, but it's full cycle in, cycle out, whenever. Like they're in product and they're going to stay in product, right? Maybe in front of, but you're right. Every once in a while, they end up cross to the dark side. <laughs> the vendors might a little better sometimes. I don't know why. I think this is an amazing event to give us mm-hmm. an opportunity to connect, to see our friends here and colleagues to learn a lot and to stay better. Like we said, broadsters are doing that. Why wouldn't we do it? I think they're even better at collaborating, but collaboration. Well, have as many, they have privacy rules. They don't have to use have calm scenes that clearly, you know, I mean, I would love to say like, there are three awesome humans in the room, but I want to say who they are because I want to give them credit. But back on your point, Andrew, even though, as my daughter would say, our social batteries are getting low, and I think that I always find that I get regenerated. Because I get, we can all be defeated as fraud fighters, no matter if you're in leadership, you're in product, you're in, you know, an analyst or you're on air support, as people have called me or whatever it is. Like we all get, we get defeated. It's easy to get defeated, right? We see the, we see the shit that's like, does it even matter? Is it drop in the bucket? Oh my gosh. Because I'm not just fighting the fraudsters that try to take advantage of my company. I've got internal battles that I'm trying to explain to them why it matters. And about all these vendors that think that I'm a big deal, that I can just ran these big contracts, right? Like it's conflicting and it's exhausting. And so it, to me, it recharges too. Alan, I would love for you to share like anything else or do you have final words word. 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 that are picky or smart? I'm kidding. Now I'm really putting on the spot. Seriously. Or no, definitely. Again, I echo everything about the networking piece again. And she, as again, we talked about earlier, as Andrew said, may come here with one agenda, but once you get here, you start to figure out that there are so many more things that need to be addressed that we can fix. Yeah. And we can only do that through this network. One agenda fills up real quick. All right. With that, guys, I am so grateful for you to in here. And I need to share an inside joke in just a second as soon as I pause this and explain why it is in the corner. All right. I thank you so much, guys. Let's we'll do this next year. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.